love their hearts to serve uh, in such a special way. We need this. We need to be able to sing out to God uh, to get our hearts in a better place of worship. And uh, it's been a great service. I, want to, I also want to lift up Dora. Dora, thank you so much for sharing your story. That was very, very powerful. Uh, and as well, there was also some other good news here this week. I know it got shared on Wednesday, but our brother Juan got baptized on Wednesday night. Stand on up, Juan. Juan Hernandez is now your brother in Christ. What an incredible, incredible victory that that is. Uh, very proud of you, bro. And, uh, and also excited, too, because uh, teen camp starts tomorrow. So the parents are fired up. The kids are out of the house for a week doing spiritual things. And the kids are fired up. It's not really teen camp, though. If you were there last year, it's more like teen resort. Like, if you get beef and asparagus with hollandaise, it's not really a camp. Let's just be honest. There are live hot springs on the grounds. Like, it's, it's, it's not a camp. Let's just, let's just be real about that. But we're fired up about it. We're, gonna, we're literally finishing up here at church. We're going to go home, change clothes, load up our van, and we're out. So we won't see you guys until next weekend. But please, please, just keep us in your prayers. Keep your kids in your prayers. This is going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal week up at camp. But, uh, but I'm grateful to be able to come, uh, to come up here and preach because we're going to continue in our summer series that we started last week on faith. We kind of officially, unofficially gave it a title today. So that's the title of our new series, Walk by Faith. It's really cool if you see the base jumper there on the end of the Christ of the Redeemer, about ready to jump off. It's really cool. Um, but we wanted to do this over the summer because we wanted to focus our energy as a church, as, as the ministers here, on strengthening the hearts and the faith of all of us as disciples. Amen. And there is a huge need. As always, we think especially right now, to, to strengthen our faith as a church here in the desert. And for us to be recommitted to Jesus as Lord of our lives. I know we've been talking about lordship a lot over the last several weeks. Uh, but the, what we decided that we were going to do in this is that we wanted to go through the heroes, the people of Hebrews 11, that the writer uses as examples of great faith. Because uh, I, I know, how many of you guys are taking James Hammond's class over the midweeks on Wednesday? All right, so you guys are getting a big introduction into the book of Hebrews. But, uh, but Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians at a time of incredibly intense persecution. And as we tend to do as human beings, when times get hard, we tend to not keep Jesus as Lord. And we tend to run to our old habits, our old lives, and our old ways of thinking. And so the Hebrew writer puts together this letter to encourage the Christians to persevere and to be faithful. Instead of running back to their old lives in Judaism. And he uses their heroes, uses these men and women of the Bible that they admired, they looked up to, they loved growing up to demonstrate the faith that we as disciples need to have in Jesus. And last week, Scott did an incredible job talking about Abraham. Uh, I, I mean, it just even thinking, I love the picture that he showed about the tents, to think about this guy that was wealthy, that had this whole life going for him, uprooting his entire life and family to go live in tents for the rest of his life. And without a very clear direction, too. God just said, I'm going to send you somewhere, but I'm not telling you where. And he went. And he went. Think about how, how many of us, like, we've we got to know the plan of what we're going to do next. 
But today we're going to get a chance to take a look at a man and a story that we're all familiar with. We're going to look at, at Noah. And no matter if you've been to church your entire life or this is your first time ever coming to church, you're probably familiar with the story of Noah. You might have even seen this crazy interpretation where Noah is a vegan rage monster that wants to kill babies and he builds the ark with giant fallen angel rock monsters. That's real. That happened in this movie. Like, I don't know how you felt about it, but I didn't even know what, how to process what I was watching when I saw this. But, uh, but either way, we're familiar with the story. And we're going to examine what Hebrews specifically said about him that made him a man of faith. The title of our sermon today is Hell or High Water. Let's say a prayer. Father, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity that we get right now to, uh, to come and to sit at the feet of these incredible, uh, specifically this incredible man that you used as an example of faith. God, I pray that you clear away the fog and the confusion, the, uh, the, the part of us that's thinking about what we're going to do after church or the stuff that we did before church or about the World Cup scores. God, I just pray that you help us right now just to be present with you, that you help us to be at your feet, that the word will just sink in deeply into our hearts God, please use me as your vessel. We love you in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I don't have any real points in my sermon today. It's a pointless sermon. But we're going to focus on the things that Hebrews, uh, that Hebrews said about Noah from the passage. Um, I want to show you here from Hebrews 11. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it to you. It says, By faith Noah... When warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and and became an heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. There's a lot to say about this man in just a short statement here. I want you to turn your Bible with me over to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to pick out some pieces from this story here, starting in verse 5. All right, let's pick up in verse 5. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, For I regret that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We'll stop there. Now this is a crazy description when you really meditate on this for any length of time. The state of the world is so dark. I don't even know how to... to, When it says every inclination in the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. I don't really know how to process that. I don't know what that makes you think of. But in my study Bible, as I was going through this, getting ready for this, it says this is the way that that my study Bible actually quoted this. This is one of the Bible's most vivid descriptions of total depravity. 
The world is so dark, it's so lost at this point, that God is in a state of grief. That the, the, the description that's even said here, it says that, uh, that his heart was deeply troubled. In other versions it says, it says his heart was full of remorse and grief. That his children, these humans that he created to be in his own image, they were, such an, they were in such an evil state that he regretted even making mankind. Imagine that. Imagine your children, parents, are in such a dark place that when you look at them, you regret ever having them. That's where God is at when he looks at the state of mankind. That tells us how bad this was. But I've often even wondered, as I look at this and think about what that must, must have been like, but I've also often wondered what God must feel about our world today. You ever give any thoughts to that? The issues that we have with racism, the hatred and violence that we see in the Middle East and in Africa, the misrepresentation of sex and pornography, the gender identity issues, the lack of respect for any kind of real authority, the greed and corruption, the selfishness and celebration of independence rather than interdependence. And also in the 21st century, we become masters of distraction and social media justice. Right? With all the darkness in the world, we don't, we don't, we don't really deal with it in a righteous way. We go on social media and express our outrage about Trump and the immigration issues instead of praying for God to be seen and looking for active ways to love. Or we get so inundated with YouTube and Netflix and Fortnite and the World Cup so that we never really have to care about what's going on in the world around us. You know, there's this, there's this pretty crazy story from the Rio Olympics two years ago. I don't know if you heard about this. But they built this wall. It was this giant wall that ran along one of the major highways in Rio. And uh, they built it before the Olympics. Because I, I don't know if you heard about some of the stories that came out of the Olympics, like the dead body that was found on the beach and, like, pollution, all kinds of these crazy things. But they built this wall that was along the major highway. And at different points of the, of the wall, it would be like plexiglass. It would be clear. And that way you could see these new, these new neighborhoods and these new schools that had been built in preparation for the Olympics. So if you're visiting from out of the country, you go, wow, look at, look at this beautiful neighborhood and, and this, this beautiful school that, that Rio has built. Look how nice it is. But then you get to parts like this where the favelas are, and the wall would be completely blocked out so you couldn't see it. And it was this... There was this news story that was written out about it that the government had intentionally designed this wall so that you wouldn't see the bad parts of Rio, just the good, when you're driving on this road. It's called the Wall of Shame. That's what it gets called nowadays. And it's interesting because that's kind of how we are in our world today. Right? With all the suffering and tragedy going on, well, at least I got, I, I'm watching my, my Netflix shows. You know, I, I don't know, I don't know if you're ever like me and get lost down the YouTube rabbit hole and all of a sudden 45 minutes go by and you're like, wait a minute, what just happened? <laughs> you know, that there's truth in this, that, that, that in our world it's not just about the tragedies that are going on, but our ignorance and our, and our choosing to ignore them. That I often wonder, how does God feel about the state of our world? 
You know, in the middle of these tragedies back in Genesis, it says that God was looking for someone that stood out from the rest of all these people. There was one man, one man, it says, who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. One man and his family that weren't like the world around them. They were still concerned with honoring God. And this is what he's looking for from each one of us. To this man, God shows up. And we know the story of Noah here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to demonstrate even a little bit what I think this, this conversation would have been like. So God shows up to Noah and he says, hey, I'm going to completely wipe out the earth because of how jacked up and sinful everybody is. But I'm going to start over with your family. And so this is what I want you to do. I know I want you to build an ark. Noah goes, Okay. What's an ark? God goes, well, you, well it's, it's, it's a boat. You see, it's, it's, a, it's a really, really big boat. Okay, okay. What's a boat? It, well, it's, it's something you see, you build it, and it's, it's wooden, and it floats on top of water. Okay? It'll, it'll stay on the water. It'll keep you guys safe. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, where's the water going to come from? We've never seen that much water before. Well, well see, the, the earth is going to flood. Okay, the, these springs from the deep are going to burst forth and water's going to come, come up from the ground and then it's going to rain. Oh, okay, okay, okay. What's rain? <laughs> and you can imagine what this dialogue must have been like between Noah and God. That God is now telling Noah that I want you to do something that he had, because something is going to happen that nobody on earth had ever experienced before, ever. At this point in time, nobody had ever seen a boat. Nobody had ever seen rain. And God is telling them, look, I want you to build this massive house of a boat for you, your family, and these animals because I'm going to destroy everything. Nothing about what God was really asking Noah to do made a whole lot of sense. He had zero point of reference for anything that God wanted him to do. It's not like he had like a, book, uh, like a book to go back on or somebody else that had done it before or built a boat before to go, so how does this really work? And part of what makes this so powerful when you think about the story, in Hebrews 11, one of the things that it points out, it says that he was warned about things not yet seen. And these, these words are some powerful words when you really consider that. Because this is at the core of what faith is about. The very core of our faith is not necessarily knowing what's going to happen next, but deciding to trust God anyways. All he knew is that God was telling him that this disaster was coming. And he needed to build this thing called an ark. And the reality is that this is the kind of faith that God is calling us to. There are many things in following God where we're not necessarily going to have a point of reference. There are plenty of things in our life, in our faith, in our experience with our families, in our futures, where we can't see the bigger picture of what God is trying to accomplish. Or why He's asking us to be part of it. You, know, you think about even something like, like the act of becoming a disciple. 
I'm going to give my life to following a man who isn't alive anymore, choosing to take on his mission from 2,000 years ago, having no idea where in the world this could send me. That's what you and I committed to is becoming disciples of Jesus. Parenting. If you use the rod of discipline, if you will impress my words on their hearts and write them on your house, if you train up a child in the way they should go, eventually, when they are older, it doesn't say how old, they won't turn from it. Even something as basic as seeking first the kingdom, right? When everything in me is saying, man, you need more money because of your bills, your loans, whatever. Man, I've got my, my test at school, my, my shift at work. I've got this job or my, extra, my, my child's extracurricular activity. All this stuff can feel more important. I'm going to choose anyways to give my best and my top priority and energy to God and His kingdom. And I'm going to trust that if I do this, all these other things are going to be given to me as well. So much of our lives and our faith and our walk with God is built upon this premise. About trusting God with the unseen. You know, the next part of this verse, in verse 7... It says, in holy fear, he built the ark to save his family. What's so interesting about this story, even compared to to Abraham, I was struggling as I was preparing this because I was like, wow, there's a lot about what I would share about Noah that's very similar to the story of Abraham as far as faith is concerned. But what was different about this is that God had incredibly specific instructions for Noah. With Abraham, he just kind of said, go, and the Lord be with you. But with Noah... He gave, him, he gave him a layout for exactly what he wanted him to build. I, wanted to, I want to look at that together. Look, look a little bit further down in Genesis 6, 14. It says, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is you, how you were to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make, it, and make lower, middle, and upper decks. All right, let's stop there for a second. So God tells him, again, compared to Abraham, where he just said, go, I'm going to send you, there's going to be a land, it's going to be great. To Noah, he says, all right. I want you to build this ark. I want you to use exactly this kind of wood. Uh, I'm going to tell you exactly how tall it should be, how wide it should be, how long it should be, how many decks it needs to have, the kind of roof, the kind of door. And specifically, he brings up here, he says, I want it to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high from translation. All right? This is a big boat. Okay, this is actually a scale replica in Kentucky. There's a group that got millions of dollars of funding to build a life-size, two-scale version of Noah's Ark. So this is a picture of it. But just to kind of even show for perspective how huge this thing is, this is comparatively. So this is the Titanic up here. 
And this is Noah's Ark. So it's about three-fifths to two-thirds the size of the Titanic. All right? So this thing was massive, monstrous even. But here's the rub. You're not going to build it with these tools. You're going to build it with these tools. And there's not a team of, of architects and people doing construction on this thing. There's eight of you. Noah was somewhere around 600 years old when he got this job. I don't know how old you feel or incapable you feel. But when he got this job, I mean, the the reality of this, this was going to take some serious time, effort, and perseverance. Depending on the scholar that you look at, it took anywhere between 60 to 120 years to build this ark. Now, I want you to ponder for a second. Do you think anywhere along this time frame, he ever questioned and doubted what he was doing? Do you think he ever questioned, is this really going to happen? Is all this work and energy really worth what God said was going to happen? I mean, imagine explaining this to people along the way. Because in that length of period of time, a boat that's that big, it, it grabs your attention. So people coming up going, Noah, why are you building this thing? Well, I'm building it. It's called a boat. It's supposed to float on water. God said it's going to flood. It's going to rain. Okay, leave me alone. That probably got really old really quick. And like I said, God's directions were very specific. About how big, how wide, how tall, everything needed to be in its place. The other question is, do you think along the way he maybe wanted to fudge the numbers a little bit? Think he felt that temptation? I know you said 450 feet long, but can I just do like 420? I mean, that's like that extra 30 feet. That's a that's a lot of work. But but imagine if that's what he did. Imagine that, that Noah fudged the numbers a little bit. He didn't quite build it to scale the way God wanted to. Well, then there's no room for the cows. And no carne asada for us. Right? The risk of Noah not building this thing to scale meant that his family could be in danger or these animals wouldn't make it. The cost was too high for him to not go through with this. But the truth of the matter is, quite often, I don't know about you, but I don't follow directions well sometimes. You know, the other day, um, I had been out most of the day, and I was uh, uh, and um, I was debating whether or not to go run an errand. I was like, no, Kelsey's been home with the kids all day. I'm going to go home. I'm going to su- go support her. I'm going to play with the kids before they go to bed and stuff. And she texted me that it had kind of been a rough day. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to go home. I'm going to take care of the kids. It's going to be awesome. And I went home, and, and I had this whole version in my head of what being helpful was going to be like. Right, I was gonna go home. I'll, I'll do some dishes, and then I'm gonna then, then, then I'm gonna hang out with the kids and stuff. But I'm gonna clean things up so she doesn't have to. And when I got home, my wife was at the door with the kid, with the baby, because she was about to snap. It had been a rough day, and and me being me, did not register that how hard the day had actually been. 
And so I'm like, hey, babe, good to see you. And I'm going to go over. I'm helping out the ditches. And the whole time my wife's like, hey, can you please take the baby? And I'm doing the dishes. And can you please take the baby? I'm just going to do the dishes. Until finally she's like, please take the baby now. I'm losing it. This has no commentary on my wife. It has everything to do with me. Because in that moment, like I said, she's giving me directions. She's telling me what would be helpful to her in that moment. And all I could have was my version of what would be helpful. Didn't realize that my wife was on, on the brink of something crazy. But the reality is this is like all of us. We have a hard time with direction and obedience. We're all in the same boat, pun intended. We don't like specifics, right? I want want freedom. I want the freedom to be able to move around and kind of do, do as I please. This is also woven into our relationship with God as well. If you haven't figured this out already, following Jesus means obedience, in John 14, he actually says very specifically that love to me is not ooey-gooeyness. He says, if you love me, obey me. If you love me, do what I'm telling you. If you love me, don't give me lip service. Obey me. And I don't like that. I don't like that. I want lordship with loopholes. I think this is a lot more tempting as well the older that we get as Christians. The older we get as disciples. It's it's almost ironic in some regards. There was a part of me when I was young, when I first became a disciple, I thought, man, the older I get, the more faithful I'm going to be and the more obedient that I would be to God. It'll get better. I'll get more mature as I get older. What I've found now is going on 17 years as a Christian, it's not gotten easier to obey. Matter of fact, there's a lot more things I know I need to obey that I often don't obey. And to obey, to obey God for the rest of our lives, that can feel hard. When you talk about it, it's, it's always fun to me at every baptism when, they, when people share, you know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Those are people that are currently in the fight right now. But it's easier to feel tired and worn out. And it's easier to want obedience to be relative. You know, some of the examples that I thought about with this. Take up your cross daily. We know that one. That was, that was when we studied the Bible to be a disciple. But you know what? It's summer. It's summer. I just want to Relax. You know, I can, take up, I can take up my cross when the school year starts back up. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But, you know, I am there most Sundays, and, you know, I just feel a little too tired for midweek. And plus, if you felt it, it's been pretty hot in the building lately. And then, you know, Timmy has a soccer game, so you don't want to miss that. Do not rob God of tithes and offerings. So, well, you know what, I've given a lot over the years. And, you know, I I do give in other ways. 
Make disciples of all nations. I don't have a lot of time to study the Bible with people right now. And you know what? Talking to people that I don't know, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. But you know what, man? Game of Thrones is a really good show. Or, you know, maybe they don't show sex. They'll just joke about it or sing about it a lot. Love your neighbor as yourself and as I have loved you. But you know what, man? This person annoys me. I don't really like them all that much. And this person over here, this person hurt me. And that forgiveness, that needs to be earned. And I'm not saying any of this stuff to condemn anybody in here. Because I wrestle with this just as much as any of you in here. To be obedient 100%, to make Jesus Lord of your life, it, it is a thing. That's why he says, man, you've got to take up your cross daily. Because daily we forget. Daily we want life to be easier. Daily I want to do what I want to do. The perseverance to continue to pray when you feel like the prayer has not been answered yet. To continue to forgive when the same person keeps hurting you over and over and over again. To continue to love people after they've hurt you. Or to continue to share your faith when you've heard no or you've seen others walk away from God. What I tend to do is I can misappropriate grace and hurt to be reasons to fudge the numbers. Hebrews said that Noah continued to build the ark over all of that time because of two powerful words. It says, holy fear. Holy fear is not a shaking in your boots. It's not God is so mean and he's out to get me and he doesn't care about me. Holy fear is, is about reverence. Holy fear is a recognition of of God's power, of God's faithfulness, and that he will always do what he says he's going to do. Whether warnings or promises. What he says he's going to do, it's going to be done. So if God says a flood is coming, even though I don't know what that means or what it looks like, I know his word is true. That's where Noah was at in this place. So look, I know the God who's telling me this. I know that if he says this is coming and he's going to wipe out the earth, that, that hell is about to bring judgment on the earth, then it must be true. And I trust that if I don't build this ark, my family's going to be in jeopardy. Come hell or high water, I'm going to build this ark and save my family because God said so. This is where I believe Noah's, Noah's faith stemmed from. Was his recognition of this powerful, almighty God who creates and destroys, but who looks at our lives and he makes promises to us that he will always follow through with. I think this is a good time for us to do some self-evaluation of our own faith. Do I trust that God will keep his word? 
Do I trust that when God makes a command of the Bible, that's not a suggestion? It's an expectation. Do I trust when he makes me a promise that if I do something, he'll come through, that he'll come through? Do I trust in his promises that if I pray continually, as the Bible says, they will be answered and that my prayers are powerful and effective? Do I trust that if I trust in my own understanding, it will lead to destruction? But if I pray and trust advice from godly people, my plans will succeed. Do I trust that if I give my money faithfully to honor God, he will throw open the floodgates. But if I'm in greedy, I cannot call myself a brother or sister. Do I trust that if I open my mouth to share my faith and tell people about Jesus, that God's word won't return empty? These are real things for us to consider here, guys. Because I'll tell you, as I look at my obedience, what my obedience can communicate oftentimes is that I don't really believe that God's word is true. I don't believe that what he says will actually happen. Whether in a warning or in a promise. And the truth in this story was that the flood was coming. It was coming. Whether... Noah built the ark or not, the flood was going to come, and the flood was going to test the truth of Noah's obedience. And the same goes for our lives. The floods are coming. The floods are coming. There's going to be storms. There's going to be earthquakes. There will be trauma that happens. People that we love are going to pass away. They're going to get sick. Life is going to happen. Whether you believe in God, whether you obey God or not. Those storms are going to come and they're going to beat against the arcs of our lives and the arcs of our faith. And the realities of life will always test the integrity of what we build with God. The question is, will our obedience be proven faithful? Will God look down at the arcs that we're building with our lives? Will you see each hammer, each, each nail, each board, each thing that we do as a step towards obedience and being faithful to God and say, he's going to make it. She's going to make it. This storm won't take them out. At the end of Hebrews eleven seven. It says, by his faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. It says that Noah condemned the world and he became an heir of righteousness because of his obedience. And God said, man, this man trusts me. And you know, he trusts me because he obeyed me. He faithfully built with each nail. Every time he hammered a nail into a board, it screamed faith. Each board that he laid on that ark, it screamed faith. Each coat of pitch that he threw on that boat, it screamed faith. Year after year. 
because of his faith that God would do what he said. If you're a disciple, like I said, this is a great time to evaluate our faith and our obedience to Jesus. And if you haven't been in a good spot, the awesome thing about grace, the awesome thing about our relationship with God is we can start now. If the tools have been in the shed, it's time to pick them up. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, now is the time to start building the ark of your faith. God's word is true, but we must learn how to obey it. The reality of faith is it can never just be an acknowledgement that's emotional or intellectual. And if you're like me, you, you live in that place regularly. I know, I trust, I, I feel God to be faithful. But my life, the hand, the, what I put my hands to, that has to demonstrate to God in faithful obedience that I trust Him to do what He says He'll do. And when we do that, that's when God promises us. That's when we get to be heirs of righteousness. I always like throwing this out there to the church. To imagine, to imagine what this church, imagine what the valley would be if just the men and women in this room trusted God in faithful obedience. What impact would we have? Whose lives would be changed? What kind of storms would you be, be able to handle because of your faithful obedience? I love you all. Let's close out in a word of prayer. God, I just want to thank you so much for your word that is so true. God, thank you that you are faithful to us even when we struggle with our faith in you. God, I'm sorry. I don't want to apologize on behalf of the church. I want to apologize on behalf of me for my lack of trust in you and my lack of obedience. And I pray, Father, that each one of us, that it gets stirred in our heart that our faith will, will be demonstrated in our actions and how we choose to obey you. God, that the, word, that, that the word will sink deeply into our hearts, but Father, that it will be demonstrated in our lives, God, and that you will use us to change others in the process. But I know, God, before it starts with what goes on out in the world, it's got to start in here. And I pray that you help us, help the disciples here in this room, build us up in faith to remember what you were trying to teach us through the words of Noah. God, to be men and women who walk faithfully with you in obedience. We love you so much. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.